0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of No Huddle. If you love college football you're in the right place, we have a great episode today with many different topics. These topics include the latest coaching hires, my thoughts on who could crash the playoff in 2023, and then we'll end the video talking about the future outlook, outlook for certain programs. And starting the show off, we're going to talk about Kevin Steele. He has been hired as the next defensive coordinator at Alabama. Kevin Steele, was the former defensive coordinator for Miami. He had one season there under Coach Cristobal. He's been coaching in some capacity for 39 years at the college level. He started out as a grad assistant for Tennessee back in 1980. He's also had multiple stops at his new home at Alabama. This will be his third time there. He's been a lead assistant to the head coach and also defensive coordinator and player personnel coordinator. So he's very familiar with the program and very good friends with Nick Saban. That was probably a huge part of this hire. His defenses also tend to perform very well under him. He's coached some of the best defenses in the SEC over the last 10 years. He had stops at LSU and Auburn for about three or four seasons as defensive coordinator. Physicality and toughness, that element, this is going to return to Alabama. I know a lot of the fans in Tuscaloosa, they're wondering where that's been. Really, it's been probably since Jeremy Pruitt has been there. Because Pete Golden, his defenses were fast, but they just didn't have that physicality that you'd expect from an Alabama defense. So I expect the physicality and toughness to come back under Kevin Steele. And from what I've seen in red, he runs a very multiple defense. That means his defenses are very flexible and versatile. Knowing Coach Saban, I expect a mainly like 4-3, 4-2-5 defense. With offenses these days, you rarely ever see a 3-4 or a 4-3. A lot of teams are running the 3-3. stack or a 4-2-5. So I expect Saban to keep that defense that he's been running for so many years. And there's some pros and cons to this hire, in my opinion. Some pros are, Kevin Steele, he's from the Saban tree, so there's a really good track record of Nick Saban hiring guys from his coaching tree. Coming in, running his style of defense and doing it at a very high level. He's an older coach. He'll bring back the physicality like I talked about. He's not one of these new, like Pete Golding. I guess we can say Pete Golding. He came from UTSA, and it seemed like Nick was trying to run his stuff, like run saving stuff with a little bit of Golding in it. And Pete Golding was running more of his stuff without the saving and that goes right back to my point. It just didn't look like Alabama was Alabama these last three or four seasons. 2020, they won the national championship, but their defense wasn't great had great players but overall it wasn't great it wasn't like 2017 2016 2012 2011 it wasn't one of those great defenses and then scheme familiarity I think that's going to come in handy here Kevin Steele coach Saban, they're gonna be on the same same point gonna be on the same track at all times and I don't and Kevin Steele being an older guy like he's not doing this oh, I' want to go be a head coach somewhere I'm gonna use Alabama to get a head coaching job no I think this is just to go back where he's familiar run a defense he likes, Coach some really good players, number one recruiting class coming in. I'm sure that was enticing. And his relationship is already built with Coach Saban, too, so he's not going to have to come in and prove himself. Coach Saban's not going to have to babysit him and check on him and say, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Is this how we're running practice? Is this how we're preparing for games? No, he's going to know how this goes. He's been in the SEC before. He's coached on LSU. 2016 LSU, I believe, 2015-2016. And Alabama LSU had some very good defensive games. Nick Saban praised Kevin Steele a lot back in those years as an opponent. That's very important as well. There's some cons to this as well, this hire. He may not be the recruiter he once was, Kevin Steele that is. I was looking at Miami's 2023 recruiting class, and there's only about one or two guys that Kevin Steele can really say I was the primary recruiter for. Now, I don't know how much of a deal this should be because Alabama has a great staff. They have a lot of good recruiters. They just signed the number one class without two coordinators, if that says anything. I think I think the standard for Kevin Steele as a recruiter, even if this is like his, la- his only season there, or if he's there for two years, I think he just needs to go and get one or two highly rated players a cycle. And that would be good enough for me. If I was an Alabama fan, because he's he's gonna put in the effort on the trail. It's just whether or not his old style of recruiting is gonna pay off with NIL. I mean, recruiting's changed a lot since Kevin Steele has had some very good players come in that he recruited. He was the primary recruiter for. And Coach Steele, he could ultimately be just a placeholder. That's why this could be a bad hire. If he's just a placeholder for a year for a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, who's waiting for the NCAA to say. You can coach again. I don't know if that's gonna, how that's gonna bold. Is that gonna be a good thing for the program, like culture wise? If another defensive corner is coming in, I know that they all run the same scheme, so that's a good sign. But for Kevin Steele, like being a placeholder, that's just kind of a bad look, in my opinion. But nonetheless, I think Jeremy Pruitt would be an outstanding hire. That'd be a home run hire if after this upcoming season Kevin Steele decides decides to retire or just step away from Alabama so Jeremy Pruitt can come in, If and he knew that, hats off to Kevin Steele. That's, I, I would respect that. If he d- is just doing this to help out Coach Saban, that's big time. And the last thing, experience factor may not matter as much because college football is evolving. Like I said, Coach Steele, he's been coaching for 39 years. Alabama just hired Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator. He's been alive for 30 years. And Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator. That's my point. Like, Does experience really matter that much in these days? I don't know that it's going to be determined this upcoming season. We'll see what Alabama's defense looks like. But yeah, Kevin Steele, he sent it to Alabama one year at Miami, headed to coach under Nick Saban. And the next topic I want to talk about is another coaching hire, Lance Guidry. He's been hired by Mario Cristobal to be the next defensive coordinator at Miami. He is replacing Kevin Steele. Lance Guidry, he was. Two lanes defensive coordinator for about a month or a couple weeks. Decided to switch it up, go to Miami. But he was at Marshall. And Marshall had one of the best defenses in college football. This is his first job at a Power Five school as well. Looking at his coaching history, he has never been an assistant at a Power Five school, never been a GA, never. So this is a big step up for him getting this job at Miami. At Marshall, he coached one of the better defenses in the country, I said. Top 15 in all major categories. Top 15, which is incredible. Under Goodry Marshall had the best third down defense in all of FBS. And he he has a great tendency wherever he is, whatever school he's been at. They have one of the top conversion rate defenses in all of FBS as well. What that means is they're stopping you from getting a first down on third down more than anyone else. Which is a big deal. Forcing three and outs, getting your offense the ball back very fast. Always a good thing to have on defense. Now, Guidry, he may not be the best recruiter that Mario could have went out, went out and hired, but I think we just saw on the field last year that recruiting really doesn't matter. You need to go get coordinators, and Mario Cristobal, if you're listening to this, you probably know by now, he has a tendency to control his coordinators more than you probably like as a fan. Now, I don't know if Lance Guidry goes from Tulane to Miami without knowing that he's gonna have control of this defense. Because last year Kevin Steele and Josh Gaddis could not run their stuff. Josh Gaddis won the Broyles Award for Michigan in twenty twenty one, okay? As the best coordinator in college football. He just got fired by Miami. Now make that make sense. Like who's really to blame here? And Joe Moorhead, when Cristobal was at Oregon, Joe Moorhead, he was the offensive coordinator. And he coached guys like Saquon Barkley and Tracy McSorley at Penn State. And at Oregon Their offenses were nothing like that. They were not explosive, and he ended up getting fired and instantly got a head coaching job at Akron, and now he's being looked at for offensive coordinator jobs, particularly at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman's already made a phone call to Joe Moorhead, and I think that would be one of the best hires of the offseason by any team in the country. And Marcus Freeman can go get Joe Moorhead. But back to Lance Gidry. If Cristobal lets him run his defense, this is going to be an outstanding hire. And the on-field performance could be drastically better than it was last season. I mean, if you guys remember, Miami was getting blown out by Florida State, Middle Tennessee State. They beat them. Duke beat them. Like Duke was out there looking like the 49ers with Joe Montana out there throwing the Jerry Rice. And that game was in Miami. That's never a good thing. But aside from recruiting, like there's a lot of positives here if you're a Miami fan. You're getting a guy that's going to develop players, first of all. X's and O's are going to be at the highest level. And he has a track record, like I was talking about, on defense as a coach, having top defenses in the country. Like that alone, that could help him recruit, even if he doesn't. Like, I don't know how good of a recruiter he actually is. That's just, that's why this is very tough to, to judge. But having a good track record and telling roots you're going to come play here. You're going to get developed, and you're going to be playing in one of the better defenses in the ACC. Now that's pretty enticing, given that Mario Cristobal and the other members of the staff, one of the best recruiting staffs in college football. So I'm a big fan of this hire for Miami, Lance Gidry. This is going to be one of the more underrated hires of the off season. But once the season comes around, once we're in like week seven, week eight, I think then that's when we're going to see this hire really pay off. And overall, I'm a big fan of this hire, and I can't wait to see what Miami's defense looks like this upcoming season. Next topic I want to talk about, So, in the intro I mentioned, I want to talk about some teams that could crash the playoff in 2023. And I'm going with the whole conference, not just a couple teams. I'm going with the Pac-12. Could the Pac-12 make the playoff in 2023? That's the question here. Now I'm going to go through some of the top contenders, players, some ways this is possible and Some of the barriers that these teams are going to have to go through now. Let's just start right at the top top contenders. You got USC, Washington, Oregon, and Utah. Four teams right there that could probably be ranked in the top 12, top 13 come preseason. I think USC, Washington, and Oregon they should all be ranked top 10. Utah they probably rate right outside 11 or 12 if I had to make my rankings. So, the, the positives and what this conference has going for them. I mean, you have veteran quarterbacks all across the board. Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nicks, and Cam Rising. Those are your top four quarterbacks in the conference. And three of them are going to be up for the Heisman Trophy. So that alone, that's a big start here for the Pac-12 headed into 2023. And Cam Rising is getting Brent Keithy back, arguably top three tight end in college football. They're going to have a good running game as well. So Utah, they might not have a top three quarterback, but Cam Rising's a pretty good player. I mean, he's two-time defending Pac-12 champ. Got to give him, give him props there. And then Pac-12 in general, this could be one of, if not the best conference in college football this season. I mean, from top to bottom, I already said USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah. You got UCLA in there. Oregon State's going to be really good. DJU's headed there. John Smith, they won 10 games. Colorado, Coach Prime, Kenny Dillingham's at Arizona State. Like, the bottom teams, even going to Jed Fish, the bottom teams, are loading up and changing their rosters so fast in this day of college football. This conference is going to be really good across the board. A lot a lot of good teams in this conference. Loaded skill position rooms. When you look at Washington, they have one of the best receiving rooms in college football. They're probably second to Ohio State. Oregon, they have Bo Nix, and then in his backfield, he's got Bucky Irving, who was one of the better running backs in the Pac-12 last year. USC, they went out and got Dorian Singer. He's from Arizona. He led the Pac-12 in receiving yards last year, actually. So he went from Arizona to USC. And then what I just talked about Washington. They got the receivers in Utah, Cam Rising, running game. DJU's headed to Oregon State, UCLA. They're going to get, they got Dante Moore. And they got some very talented players in the portal. Even Cal. I mean, I don't think Cal is going to be in, Real threat in this, but they got Byron Carterdwell, who's a starter for Oregon at running back. There's a lot of players, and then you got Coach Prime. He got out, he went out and got Shadir Sanders, his son, to follow him. Travis Hunter's coming in. There's a lot of good players in this conference, and that's what you need. To be a good conference, you need players at the skill positions that can go out and win games for your team. And then on the other side of the ball, you have up and coming defenses. A lot of these teams are going to be a lot better on defense than they were in 2022. Specifically, I'd go right at USC, Washington, and Oregon right at the top. I mean, Alex Grinch is coming back for USC, so I don't know how much better they can get. And they lost their best pass rusher in Tuli Tuli Pelotu. But when I look at Oregon and Washington, they have all the players, they have all the talent, especially Oregon. Just because they have Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy. When I got Jordan Birch from South Carolina. I know they're losing, they lost Justin Flo in the portal, but he wasn't really an impact player last year for them. They're losing Noah Sewell and Christian Gonzalez, who's a projected top 15 pick in the draft. But transfer portal, recruiting, it's all there for Oregon. I expect Dan Lanning to have that defense much better. And then Washington, like I said, there was a point in time when they were one of the teams that were up for DBU in college football, defensive Back university. They've had so many draft picks go to the NFL And looking at their roster, they have a lot of guys that could have breakout seasons and get themselves in draft position. And the next thing is innovative coaching staffs all across the board here. I already hit on some of them. But these coaches coaches in the Pac-12, they understand. They know how to build a roster. They know how to get talent, just like teams down south. When you look at Dan Lanning and Coach Prime, even Chip Kelly right now and Kenny Dillingham, They're hitting the portal really hard. Lincoln Riley's doing it at the scope positions better than anyone else as well. But they're going to other programs and stealing starters off their teams They come and flip their roster and flush the bad players out of there. Now, that that may sound harsh, but let's just say how it is. That's what college football is now. If you're not good enough, you're going to transfer out, and that program's going to go and get someone that's good enough from a program Heck, they might have won nine, ten games, and that kid might have started on that team and had a pretty good season, but he wants to go somewhere else. That's exactly what's happening in the Pac-12 right now. In Utah, I want to hit on Utah specifically here. Kyle Winningham has never had the talent that he's about to have for these next two to three seasons. You think about how successful Utah's been under him. They've had some of the best teams out West over the last decade. Two time Pac 12 defending champs. Now, recruiting wise, they had probably the best recruiting class they've ever had in 2023. Transfer portal, players want to go play for them. And Kyle Winningham with talent. Pac twelve coaches aren't gonna say they're scared, obviously. No one's gonna say they're scared. But I just think there's gonna be a sense of, oh boy, like, what could this look like? And that's how I'm feeling. I wanna see what Utah looks like with all this talent one of the best coaching staffs in college football. It'll be very interesting to see because if they go back to the Pac-12 championship and win it for a third straight time, there's going to be a lot of question marks around USC, Washington, and Oregon. Like, where are you guys at? You have all this talent. You're getting all these players. Transfer portal recruiting rankings, top 15, top 20 every single season. But you still can't beat Kyle Winningham. And if they can't beat him this year, what makes you think they're going to beat him Two, three years from now, because he's getting all this talent. That's another thing the Pac-12 has going for him, talent acquisition at a very high level. But there's three barriers and three things that are going to be in the way for the Pac-12 to make the playoff. The main thing, what happens every single year, every single time there's a contender outside of two times they made the playoff. But the Pac-12, they could just beat each other up and just totally eliminate themselves from the playoff. I mean, this would be the most Pac-12 thing ever. They have four teams in the top 10 to start the preseason. They're all sitting at 9-1, and 8-2, and 10-1. At the end of the season, they all lose, all beat each other up. Let's say USC is undefeated. They go play Oregon. Oregon beats them. USC comes back. They beat Utah. But then Oregon loses to Washington and Utah. Like that, That's just how it goes every single season. The teams that beat the top teams lose to the bottom teams. It just happens every single season. And I would not be surprised if it happens in twenty twenty three. Now the SEC and Big Ten are gonna be a huge part in the Pac twelve being able to make the playoff, and I say that because Georgia and Alabama, heck you can even throw LSU in there. But there's a good shot there's two SEC teams in the playoff more like the chances are higher of that having than the Pac twelve getting one team. Same with the Big Ten, Michigan and Ohio State—if they're both undefeated last week of the season when they play each other—and that's a—and that's a good game—they're both probably going to get in. Now, with this though, all the Pac-12 has to do is have a one-loss conference champ because of how good the conference is going to be. It's just—is that possible? Like what I was just talking about—they could all lose to each other, all beat each other up. The SEC and Big Ten, they won't get two teams in if the Pac-12 just has a one-loss conference champ, especially if it's one of those top four teams I named who's who's going to start the season very high in the rankings. So that's definitely something to, cons- to consider, given the fact that Georgia's gone back-to-back. LSU's on the rise. Alabama's changing their coaching staff, got a lot of talent, obviously. And then Michigan and Ohio State, they're probably going to run the Big Ten. I know Penn State's in there. Even, heck, Penn State, they beat Ohio State and lose to Michigan, and that's their only loss. And then it's Michigan and, and like, Iowa or Wisconsin and the Big Ten Championship. Heck, Michigan might be the one one or two seed at that point, and then Penn State might sneak in there at number four over the Pac-12. Who knows? But definitely something to watch out for. And then the Pac-12... They must go about their standard and expectations to get the committee on their side. What I mean by that, go go about their own standard. What that standard is, go go win, go win eleven games, go make the Pac-12 championship, and go win it. A lot of out-of-conference opportunities here, and that's what I mean by go about your own schedule. Just go handle business, go above and beyond your expectations. Because there's opportunities against high major teams with a lot of talent from down south, out east, where a lot of fans are watching. If you go win those games, Pac-12 going to gain some recognition from the committee, fans, everybody. Remember in 2021, Oregon went and beat Ohio State. Everyone's like, oh my, look at this. pac 12s finally making a move. But then last season, Utah went to Florida. They lost. Oregon went to Georgia and lost to the SEC teams. Everyone forgot about that. So they're going to have to go win some games. Florida's coming to Utah this year. Utah wins that. Boom, Utah's right back on the map. Everyone's watching them. Just games like that. Washington, they're going to Michigan State. They're going in the heart of Big Ten territory. They go in there and blow the doors off of them, which could very easily happen. Heck, everyone's got their eye on Washington. Their chances at the playoff just went up tremendously. So I I think the Pac-12, they do have a shot. Just to end the segment, I think, Pac-12 does have a shot. Obviously, things are going to have to go their way. And one of those four teams that I mentioned at the top, they're going to have to go 11-1 and or 12-0 and and win the Pac-12 and win their out-of-conference games. Because let's be honest, if USC is 11-1 and and that loss is to Utah by, like, three, they win the Pac-12, they're easily in. Same with Oregon. If Oregon and Washington, if they are 11-1 and and their loss is to the other one, and they win the Pac-12, they're easily in. And then same with Utah. If they beat Florida, heck, if they lose to Florida and went out, go well undefeated in the Pac-12, one loss conference champ, they'll be in as well. So I think this is definitely a possibility as long as they don't beat each other up. Let's move on here to our fourth topic. How do fan bases feel in the state of Texas? Now, I said I was going to look at the outlook for certain programs, and this is exactly what I'm talking about here. Four Texas schools here I'm going to look at. TCU, Texas, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. Let's just take a look and compare the state of each fan base here based on the outlook and the projection of their program. Let's start out here with TCU. 2022, they went 13-2. and They finished second in the AP poll after making the national championship. They made the playoff. They won the—or I guess they, sh- they didn't win the Big 12. They won the Big 12 regular season, but they didn't win the Big 12 championship game. They lost to Kansas State. Nonetheless, thirteen and two finished second in the polls. Their twenty twenty three recruiting rankings is sitting at twentieth right now. They're twenty third in the transfer portal. Head coach Sonny Dykes. If I had to grade his performance or his his job rating right now, like as of today, I give him an A plus. Year one going into the playoff, that's incredible. Especially when you're picked to finish seventh in your own conference. So I'm gonna give him a, an A plus. For his job so far. Expectations for twenty twenty three, I think it's Big Twelve champs. You got to go back, try getting that trophy in Dallas, and I think ten plus wins. I mean that's the standard now under Sunny Dykes. Make the playoff. I think ten plus wins is. I think ten and two season. That's very attainable here for the Horn Frogs. Now how the how's the fan base feeling? Well, if I was a and this is how, this is how I would feel. We made the playoff, so I'm very happy about that. We beat Michigan. Sunny Dykes, year one, 13 wins. I couldn't have asked for anything better. But we played Georgia and got absolutely embarrassed in the national championship game. Now, personally, I'd feel pretty good about the season. I wouldn't really worry about that Georgia game as much. Like, I think we all knew Georgia was probably going to win the game. But just how it happened... You may feel a little worse about it. But nonetheless, you want you just went to the Fiesta Bowl. You won a bowl game, New Year's Sixth bowl game. You're coming back in twenty twenty three. Good transfer portal class, good recruiting. Sonny Dykes is a great coach. And heck, let's let's go make a run at the Big Twelve Championship this season. So overall I think TCU fans should be feeling pretty good about the state of their program. Next I want to hit on Texas. Texas, they went eight and five in twenty twenty two. And they finished twenty-fifth in the AP rankings. The recruiting class is sitting at third right now. And they're forty-second in the transfer portal rankings. They're led by head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Now, if I had to grade his job so far, I'd give him a C C+. They did improve this year, this past season. They had an opportunity to beat Alabama. But when you're the head coach at Texas, those standard the standard is much better than eight and five. Like let's say TCU went eight and five in Sunny Dyke's first season, I'd probably give him a B B+. I mean, he came in, flipped, flipped the roster, changed quarterbacks. I mean, he wanted Chandler Morris to start. We got to remember that. Max Duggan came in. He turned him into a Heisman candidate. I mean, Garrett Riley. Got to give him some credit as well. But yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, the, the standard's higher. Standard's 10 wins, winning big, big 12 championships. That hasn't happened since 2019 under Sam Ellinger. So the expectation for this upcoming season, I'd say... Texas, they have to win the Big 12 championship. Like, they got to get there at least and win nine or ten games probably in order to do so given how good the Big 12 is going to be. Now, possible is that? I'd say very possible. Quentin Ewers is going to be your quarterback. He's very talented. He didn't have the greatest of seasons last year. People were saying he played through injury. Now, I'm not going to say he didn't, but his performance definitely dropped off when those rumors started going out. But yeah, if I was a Texas fan... How I'd be feeling right now. Like, when's this gonna happen, right? Like, is this a year? If not, we need to make some changes because I'm getting I'm getting hyped up every year. All these recruiting classes. Arch Manning's coming in. Cedric Baxter Jr. Jonte Cook, skill position guys, five star players. And everyone calls us eight and four, eight and five, Texas. We're not back, folks, right? Like, I'd want that to change. If I was a Texas fan, I'd want that to change very badly. And I think 2023 is the season. Start going into year three, like, it has to happen now, I think. You know, I'm I'm all in on on Steve Sarkeesian as the head coach. I think he's a good coach, very good recruiter. He's getting talent at a very high level. And I'm excited to see what the Longhorns do next season. And the next team I want to hit on is Texas A&M. Oh, boy. Texas A&M, they went 5-7 and seven last year. They finished unranked, missed a bowl game. They're fifteenth in recruiting, fifty-second in the transfer portal. Remember, they they were number one class in twenty twenty-two, number one all time. But lost multiple guys from that class, and then they're led by head coach Jimbo Fisher. And if I had to grade his job right now, I'd probably give him a C minus or a D plus. Now the reason I didn't go like full hate mode right here and give him an F, is because I think Jimbo understands the problems at AM right now with NIL. All this recruiting hype. Like, I just think the players' egos are way bigger than they need to be, and that's why he went and flushed these kids out. Maybe they were part of the problem. We're gonna find out next season, I guess. But maybe they were just part of the problem, and we, we're gonna have to give credit to him if AnM has an improved season. And a lot of these players that State, if they have a lot of good, good players coming back, and these recruits in the 2023 class, which is ranked 15th, but their top three in player rating average. That means they're fifteenth in rankings because they don't have a lot of guys, but the guys they have are some of the best players in the country at their respective positions. I think a guy like Ruben Owens, five-star running back. You put him in the backfield. You got Evan Stewart out wide. Connor Wegman's coming in at quarterback or coming back at quarterback. This this offense should be good. You got Bobby Petrino as well as offensive coordinator from Louisville. I know a and m fans probably aren't too happy about that, but the expectations like no worse than eight and four, right? I mean the people inside the building are probably expecting ten wins, I and mean, I'd probably be expecting ten plus wins too if I had that talent, but I mean, you can't go worse than eight and four here, or else Jimbo's gonna say, hey, pay me my money, let's go buy out route and get me out of here, get someone else new in here. Like Jimbo doesn't want to keep losing. These players don't want to keep losing. There's going to be a point in time if they keep losing, the recruiting is going to fall off. And players are just going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else. Because like I said, these players are talented. They're wanted at other programs, top-tier programs, that they can go and win at. So I think it has to happen this year. And if I'm an A&M fan, just like Texas, like, when's this going to happen? When's all this going to come together? And we're going to see it on the field and go – Go fight for the SEC championship. When are we going to go battle LSU and Alabama? Like oh, we're beating these teams, we're pulling off an upset here and there. Looking at a record, we're five and seven. They're in big New Year six bowl games, and we're sitting at home on the couch watching them play during bowl season. So I think 2023 is the year Jimbo Fisher's got to get it together. I think it's all gonna. I do think it's gonna come together. I think they're in heck. I just said they got to go eight and four, but heck, seven and five. Bowl game go go eight and five go win your bowl game like if I was an AM fan I wouldn't be happy about that but like it's an improvement I guess right all right on the Texas Tech 2022 they went eight and five they finished unranked 26th in recruiting 56th in the transfer portal led by head coach Joy McGuire uh, this is one of the more underrated coaches in college football and if I had to get give him like like a grade for his performance my thoughts on him. I give him a B plus without hesitation without hesitation. B plus. Why? Because this program has everything going against them relative to who's in their state. You got A and M, Texas. I'm not even talking about Baylor on here right now either, which is crazy. I know, but you got TCU as well. Like there's a lot of talent in Texas, but they're not looking at Texas Tech. Until now, now they are going forward. Texas Tech, they're recruiting 26th. That is great for Texas Tech. Go look at their average recruiting ranking over the last decade. tell you right now, it's not top 40. Now, the expectation for 2023, I think 8-9 wins, like shot at 10 wins, go play for the Big 12 championship. They're going to be ranked preseason. I have them ranked preseason. I think they should be around 2021 maybe even higher, like 18th or 19th in the rankings, just because of what they have coming back. And like I said, they're getting guys as well. If I was a Texas Tech fan, I'd be pretty happy right now. Looking at their schedule too, it it bodes fairly well. You have Oregon coming in out out of conference. That's, a, that's just an opportunity, right? You go win that game, you start 3-0, and out of conference, big 12 play starts. You go win some big games early on in October. And this thing gets going. Joey McGuire, he's a motivator. He's a very good coach, player friendly. That locker room, if they start winning games, that locker room is gonna be. I don't even know how to explain it, but that locker room is gonna be in a very good state. It's gonna to lead to some wins. And I, like I said, Big Twelve championship. That should be, that should be the goal here in 2023 for Texas Tech. I think Tyler Shuck's gonna be the quarterback. He's coming back. If I was a Texas Tech fan, I'd be happy about that he might not be the most talented quarterback in the world but he's a veteran he's my quarterback last year we can go win some games don't have to switch anything like this is the year this is the year we can get on the map so i'm excited to see what texas tech does in 2023 all right guys i think that's gonna wrap up this episode let me know your thoughts down below also before you head out be sure to leave a like and subscribe to the channel and i'll catch you guys in the next video